Greetings to all of you and to all of you worshiping with us online. Grace and peace is ours as we think about God blessing our messes. God blesses our messes. We've, we've been uh, talking this morning again. Everyone's been saying we've got these five names in the genealogy and we've got two today and Pastor Patterson's going to tell you, so I'm not going to tell you. So now I'm here to tell you what we want to know, what we need to know about the two women in the middle, uh, Ruth and Bathsheba. The reason there's two today is because we, there's only four Sundays and there's five women in the genealogy. And so one of us needed to preach on two people. And since I'm known for brevity, I got <laughs> what? I got two names, Ruth and Bathsheba. Uh, the story of Ruth is found in the, uh, her own book. Everything we know about her is in four chapters. It's a little book right after the Judges because she lived during the period of the Judges, which was a very dark period. She is the brightest light from that whole period when you read through your Bible. Before I start her story, I just want, to, I want you to think about God and his mind and his heart when he walked into the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned and therefore brought ruin to his humanity project. We would say, for us, because we live in the moment, existentially, God was left with a decision. Do I go in? I told them in the day that they would eat it, they would die. They did die spiritually. They lost their sense of love and faith toward me. But do I go in and put them to death right now and start over? And fortunate for them and for us, who were their unborn children, God had decided from eternity that he was not going to do that. He saved them. And then starts the story of the Bible, how the gracious God promised Adam and Eve and told the devil, uh, he's, there's going to be an offspring of the woman that crushes your head. God had made a decision to forgive and to save people who ruined his creation. And it was unfair to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to take this burden on themselves to repair by satisfying the justice. The immutable character that God has is justice, also grace, also sovereignty. And in his sovereignty, he's the only one, the creator of the universe, that can do anything at all to fix this and not just completely destroy humanity. And so... From eternity, he decided, I'm going to make my son pay for it. The only begotten, unfairly. And so God is guiding all of history. So now when you look at the Bible stories of the Old Testament that are part of this genealogy of Jesus, and you see the foibles of the families, you can understand where God's heart is, where his mind is. Joseph, one of those stories at the end of Genesis, understood God's heart and mind. That's why he kept saying to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Here's my point so far. God's grace, which guides his decisions, also guides his heart to make him bless our messes. So that even the messes that situations around us or people around us foist upon us God steps in and says, I'll bless that mess. Have faith. That's Joseph telling his brothers, right? 
that he learned that. That's Ruth. The story of Ruth is, is a, a woman who is the antithesis of her generation. If you look through the book of Judges, there's a whole lot of selfishness and idolatry and uh, a lot of death and murder and rape and all this bad stuff. And in this dark period steps up a woman of virtue who's not even a Jew, an Israelite. She, come, she gets pulled into, and it's in her book, story, she gets pulled into the family of Israel and the lineage of Jesus through this bad mess, the circumstances of a famine. Now, you and I have gone through one of the biggest famines in the last 50 years in America. How did it affect you? Hardly at all, because of my H-E-B. They ship food from all over the world at these big grocery stores, and they, they already had been before there was a huge drought. But did you know we endured the, you'll, you'll, you'll maybe laugh at this, that I would know this stat, we endured the biggest sell-off of cattle in 59 years? You didn't know that, because you ain't got no cattle. Right? But Desi says, I do. So... Um, we are, but you didn't, it didn't affect you. Now, when Ruth went through the famine, I mean, excuse me, Naomi and, and her family, Elimelech was her husband, she had two boys, they had to leave. They had to go find H-E-B, and it was over where the rains were falling on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a, in a land called Moab. Now, many generations earlier, Lot, Abraham's nephew, had left Sodom when it got destroyed. His wife got destroyed by that same judgment. And then his daughters got him drunk and had children with him, and that's the origin of Moab. Moab is way before Abraham's uh, son Isaac took over as a patriarch, and then Jacob, and then his 12 sons, and all that. It's way back in history. And so Moab's a country by this time, right, for many years. And they go over to Moab, and they, they're neighbors, Israelites and Moab, Moabites, but they're not great friends. So it's harder to be ethnically an immigrant, a refugee of a famine over there. And when they're over there, without interventive medicine, things happen in their messy life. And Elimelech dies untimely. And then the two boys that got married to Moabite women while they were over there, they die. And this whole idea of an Israelite family having a real tidy inheritance that you pass down the allotted land to the kids and then the grandkids and it keeps going, the whole thing's messed up. Naomi sits over there as a widow, and her name, Naomi, means sweet. And she thinks, my dad should have named me Mary because Mara means bitter. And she was bitter. She was angry because her, her life was a mess, and there was no way out. And when her daughters-in-laws said they would come back because it started to rain in Israel again, and they lived from Bethlehem, when they started to come back, Naomi said, you better stay here because I'm not going to have more boys for you to marry for this whole heritage thing to happen that you would that you would be an heir to an Israelite allotment and have a legacy in our tribes you better just go back one of the daughters went back and Ruth was this virtuous supportive daughter-in-law who had come to know Naomi's God was a gracious God called Yahweh the Lord and she said your God is my God you are my mother now in the faith I'm going to die where you die you are family. I'm coming with you. Even if it meant that she would, for her whole life, 
herself, Ruth is a widow, that she and Naomi would live a destitute life without any legacy and some other family they'd sit and watch while they inherited Elimelech and his boys' allotment and they would live out their lives and their days without any kind of restitution. They would live and die in a mess. She's that virtuous. She's coming to follow the gracious God, believing what God wants us to believe. So you know what happened, right? We'll, we'll try to race forward here. But there is a, a law in Israel about a kinsman redeemer can actually marry a widow of, of another Israelite and then have his firstborn from that widow becomes the heir from him. But if, if that heir goes with the widow's uh, uh, previous husband's family and they get all that inheritance. And there, that takes a lot of virtue. In fact, the guy that was in line in front of Boaz wouldn't do it. And you can see it in other stories in the Bible where people wouldn't do it. The whole idea of Tamar and Judah, the, the boys, uh, Tamar uh, marries a son after the brother dies. He didn't want that to happen, that he would have to have a baby and then, then it would all be his brother's family's inheritance. And it was his brother. And so people, people the, the, the sense of selfishness and value, what I own, and the family divisions based on who gets what, when, where, and how, they were all there, and Boaz is above that. Ruth's above that. Boaz is above that. These are people of a virtue of faith and grace. And so Boaz takes Ruth, and then the story unfolds. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman... The women said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is and loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Naomi rejoiced and bounced the little baby Obed on her knee. Obed's the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of David. And so the writer tells you that at the end of the story. Here's how we got David from Bethlehem. Because all of this happened around Bethlehem. Bethlehem is situated six miles south of Jerusalem. If you're wondering on the map, it's really close to what would later become the capital city. But this is the story of the greatest king in all of Israel, in all of the Bible, has more press in the Bible than Jesus. David, this is the story of how his family was situated in Bethlehem and how Bethlehem became the city of David where the Christ would be born. It's a huge part of the story, but step back from it and observe. God blessed the mess. When Naomi came back to town, she said, My life's a mess. The Lord has been evil to me. Do not call me, Naomi. She said what was on her heart. She said, call me Mara because I'm bitter. <clears throat> you ever been mad at God? Maybe you judged your situation too soon. You ever been overly depressed or sad? Maybe you judged your situation too soon. You see, when God shows you a name of a Ruth in the genealogy of his son, where women usually don't appear in genealogies, he's wanting you to think about that story 
And I just retold it to you. And how he blesses messes to do great things for them. Remember, this was great for Naomi, but also great things for us by bringing us a savior from that family line. So the very first point today is looking at the life of Ruth. Learn in a tough time in your life to have faith that God is still doing good. Just like Romans 8, 28 says, always working for the good of those who love him. He blesses your message. Now, we like this message, don't we? Right? We're tired of playing the victim. We want to hear how God makes us triumph out of our messes by his grace. We love that. It's a lot harder to wrap our honest mind around when we made the mess. When we make the mess, our sense of justice tethers us to guilt and shame. And so when we hear about God blesses our messes, we go, how? It wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't be just if he blessed the mess that I made out of my sin, selfishness and my sin. That, that doesn't work. And, so, and the devil stands right there next to us according to what it says in Zechariah 3 he did to Joshua the high priest. He stands right there and goes, that's right, don't you be thinking that you're going to get off for this. This is a mess you made yourself. And then he says some of those sayings that humans around us have taught us that are so unhelpful, like, you got a taste of your own medicine, don't you? <laughs> right? Like, what goes around comes around. I thought of a couple more. Let me look at my notes so I don't forget them. You made your own bed, sleep in it. Right? You're getting what you deserve. Right? So when we think about God blesses our messes, we have this whole batch of messes that we've created, or there may come one, one, a place in our life where we create one, and we go, God's not going to bless that. He wouldn't be God, the just God, right? It wouldn't be fair. Remember how I started today? God made an unfair decision to punish Jesus in our place. So I'm going to say this to you, dear saint. You need to leave room for grace in your musing. And the story in the genealogy of Christ is Uriah's wife and David. Did you notice in the reading of the genealogy, and we bolded it, that she doesn't even get her name mentioned? Go look at that reading real quick. It's on page, what, six or seven from Matthew? We tried to make sure you saw it. David was the father, I'm on page six. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. No. Goodness gracious, just pushes it up under your nose. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Well, of course, she was free to marry because she was a widow, right? Oh, my goodness, you know the story. She's a widow because David, the sovereign king, had made a really big mess out of his life. Standing on the top of his palace, which, by the way, we have ruins of David's palace 
They're not grand, but we have ruins of his palace just on the southern tip of Jerusalem. And you can see down, it's, it's a steep hill, and his is up on the hill. And they, they built a platform there for you to, tourists and tour guides to you know, bring people and say, tell the story of David and, and Bathsheba. And you can stand there, and you can see Bethlehem's towers. There's some buildings that are towers there six miles away, and you can see the valley south of the Temple Mount and all that. You can look down that hill and see these, these backyards and, and these crowded-in houses even today. You can see how David looked over and in lust saw Bathsheba bathing outside and lusted after her and called for her. And one of his attendants said to him, this is all in the book of First Samuel, Second Samuel, one of the attendants said to him, isn't that Uriah's wife trying to stop him? He brings her in. There's no word about her attitude, maybe because he's the sovereign king. She's totally a victim. He certainly took advantage of his position, but she's there. There's no word about her resisting him. He, they have sex, and then she sends word to him later, I'm expecting a child from that act. They both know Uriah is not the dad because Uriah is in battle for the king. And David, it says, the story begins, and I go back to where it's printed on page 9, because you'll see how, how, the, how the mess is. David, it says, in the, spring at, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home, and he sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem one evening, and then it says... From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is, This is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and slept. he slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, I would, I'd, love, I'd love to tell you that David said, oh, I made a mess out of this, and I've got to come clean. But he did. He sent for Uriah, and all of Uriah's friends who are in the front line of battle are thinking, oh, he gets to go back because he's summoned by the king. And David says, yes, you're a great warrior when Uriah, Uriah arrives. He gets, has, gives him a feast, gets him drunk, and he thinks he's going to do what all men do when they come home from battle. And so he says, now go home, which is just down the hill, right? Go home to your wife. Uriah goes, my comrades are out fighting for their lives. People are dying left and right around me. I'm not going home to do that while they're away from their families. Sleeps on the steps of the palace. <clears throat> Next day, David's plan to try to hide his sin is still not working, so he does it again. He thinks, well, maybe the second night. Same thing, Uriah sleeps on the steps. And so David is left with that decision. Do I come clean? Do I tell him and tell the world and live with the shame? And uh, decides, no, I think there's one more thing I could do to cover it up. If Uriah dies in battle, then I can take her as a wife. We can have an early birth. So he sends Uriah with a scroll written on it to Joab. And Joab is a very good tactical military leader. And he says to Joab, rush the city wall that you're attacking and put put a, a whole battalion of men close to the wall within the shot of arrows and make sure Uriah is in the group. David wrote all that down, didn't have anybody write it for him. He rolled it up, put a string around it, a wax seal, and handed it to Uriah. 
the audacity, right? Uriah is faithful, will not look at a message from the king because it's not his to do that. Uriah goes for the journey back to the battle, hands it to Joab, and you can imagine Uriah standing within feet of Joab when he unrolls that and reads it, and Joab knows, he doesn't know what David has done with Bathsheba, but he knows David is doing something to get rid of Uriah. Joab is no fool. Because Joab doesn't want to do something so tactically foolish as to drive his men close to the wall where the archers in the city could kill him. But he does it. And when he does it, this, is, this, is, this story gives me such brain cramp that God would bless this mess. 36 men get killed. Not just the one, but 36. What a mess! 36 widows, 36 orphan, you know, kids that are, you know, families that have orphans in them. What a mess. Joab gets his own scroll out, writes on it. We, we rushed the city wall. The archers t uh, shot at us. We lost 36 men. And the punchline of his note is, and Uriah the Hittite is dead. Rolls it up, seals it, sends it back to David. And David reads it and thinks, okay, plan is working rather than, Oh my goodness, what am I doing, right? Sins for Bathsheba, has a quick wedding. We're going to have an early birth. Everything's going to be fine. And then he lives on this shame and guilt internally, knowing because he's a man after the Lord's own heart, he has a conscience. The law of God is in his mind and heart. And he's doing what many of you have done when you wanted to not get in trouble for the mess you made. Whether it's a little thing at work or a big thing, you've done it. Whether you were 10 or 70, you've done it. We don't want to get caught in shame. So David lives with that pressure, that stress, that frustration of that knowing the internal story of a mess that he's made. And God sends Nathan the prophet and he confronts David and David confesses his sin. And when David confesses his sin, Nathan says, there's going to be trouble in your kingdom and in your family for the rest of your life, and the baby that you've been trying to hide being yours is going to come to heaven. It's going to die and as an infant. And the baby's born, and the baby gets sick, and David starts mourning and praying and won't be comforted. He knows he's the death of his own son that way. And that son died. After a few days, he died. And David mourns for a while, and then he gets up, and he's being comforted. And now we're back to the story on the sheet. I want you to see what happened. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Jedidiah means beloved by Yahweh. That's Solomon's nickname. I'm just going to tell you, the writer is telling us what happened, but it gives me a brain cramp. David's got other wives. One of them is an amazing woman named Abigail. God, why couldn't you make the man who would ascend the throne as the in the line of David, 
Someone other than Uriah's wife. <laughs> Why couldn't you have made it Abigail? God says, because I wanted it to be Bathsheba. Not that I wanted David to take her and, and sin with her and then try to hide it and all those things, but I decided from eternity it would be Bathsheba and David and, and Solomon is the one. God bless that mess that David made. You know why? It's not because it was okay. It's not because God moved David to sin. It's because God is gracious and he blesses our message. And as stinky as David is, he knows that. And he wrote two of the most beautiful psalms after Nathan brought God's word to him and brought him to repentance. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. They are called penitential psalms. And David says in Psalm 51, I know you desire truth in the inner part. I know that you want us to walk with you, Lord. I want your grace renew in me by your spirit, a steadfast spirit within me, not one that will follow its lusts and desires, but will follow you and your word and your grace. And he goes, and if you'll do that, I will teach Israel what it means to walk with a gracious God like you. That's why he wrote the psalm. God bless the mess. Now, I want you to go to that final slide. I, I want you to think about your mess for a minute. The recovery from a mess for it to be redeemed and made something good to come out of it does not need solely depend upon you figuring something out and coming up with the perfect solution. Today, the word from God is you have to get on your knees before a gracious God and say, I made a mess out of this. I, I am the problem. Forgive me. Purge me with, this is words of Psalm 51, purge me with the hyssop Restore to me the right kind of attitude. Forgive me for my sin. Look away from it. I've been sinful from the time my mother conceived me, and these are the, these are the sins that I'm familiar with. This propensity has been a part of my life. I am so sorry, Lord, but you bless messes that I made this mess, and I'm on my knees, and I'm saying, forgive me for Jesus' sake, and fix it. Fix the person that I hurt. Fix the situation that I ruined. Make something wonderful come out of it. To your glory and our good. That's my childlike prayer, dear Lord. I can't fix this. I made a mess out of it. That's where David was. And look what happened. Solomon, greatest king, built the most. Psalm 72, Solomon wrote about the Messiah that was coming. He wrote all the Proverbs. He, he, uh, you know, there's a few Proverbs he didn't write. He wrote most of the Proverbs. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs plus, but not all of them made it into the Bible. Wrote Song of Solomon. 
He trained up his children in the, in, that he could, as best he could, in the ways of the Lord. And he's in the line of the Savior, and he's a type of Christ. And his name, his nickname, Jedediah, the Lord loves us. Could you uh, bear a short parable as I close? David, David died and went to heaven, and he almost ducked at the entrance because here comes Uriah down heaven's road. Uriah said, don't, don't, don't run, don't run. Look where I am. Look where you are. You meant to harm me, but God sent me to this glorious eternal place, heaven. It's okay. David goes, I still can't believe I did that to you. Uriah goes, you just need to think bigger than yourself. Look, it sent, God sent me to heaven. David goes, well, there's that. And he goes, no, you need to think bigger than that. He said, look what came out of it. You wrote, you wrote Psalm 51 and 32, and they are, the Lord told me that they're going to be the guiding passages for people for thousands of years who need to find their way back just like you did. They may not have a Nathan, but they've got Nathan, and then they've got your Psalms. You're taught Israel. He goes, well, I still can't believe I did it, but then there's that. And then he goes, no, look, 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 Solomon. So Solomon, look what he did and all that he wrote and, and all that he built for Israel and, and all the people, he, lives he saved by the way he governed. And, 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 and you were his father, and you had the DNA, and you had the, the, the desire to teach him the word. I didn't, I'm a warrior. I didn't know the word like you did. Look what, and David goes, well, I still can't believe I did all that, but then there's that. He goes, now just think bigger. What came from Solomon, and, which is your, your Bathsheba and your child, is a savior for the world. The guy on the throne back, I had to show him to you. He's going to come and save all people. And he's a descendant of you. He wasn't going to be a descendant of me. And he's a descendant of Solomon. And David said, and then there's that. I guess we can live on the same street in heaven, Uriah. Because of the grace of God, I won't hide from you. Nobody can hide up here, Uriah says. The light of God's grace reveals everyone because he blessed our mess. Now, I'm, that's just a parable, and it's kind of showing David coming to his senses in heaven. Once you step into heaven, it all makes sense, so that parable cannot happen that way because God teaches, makes you perfect when you enter heaven. You don't learn while you're there. You've already learned. So why did I tell it? So you'll start having that kind of conversation with yourself rather than all that self-hate that you come up with and all those sayings about only justice. You know what will happen? You look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, you'll see what will happen. This is really huge. You'll have less anger. Faith erases anger. When you know God blesses your messes, whether it's caused by others or caused by you, you stop being so angry at other people and you stop being so angry at yourself. You let go and say, What a wonderful Savior! we have. That's what God teaches us 
through Ruth and Uriah's wife being included in the genealogy of Jesus. Amen.